Now, I have a question for you. Do you ever feel like you don't have anything left to give? Like there's just nothing in you, not in the pocketbook, not in like your personality or your time or anything else. Because I think what happens to a lot of us during this season is that we feel like I have nothing left. Like there is nothing about me to give. I do not have enough because we put so many expectations on ourselves during the holidays. In fact, what we have kind of done in the holidays and in this season is we've begun to make our holidays transactional. Like every part of the holiday is not really about relationship, but about transaction. What can you give me? What kind of money can you give me? What kind of time can you give me? What kind of experience can you give me? Because that's what this is all about. And I don't know about you, but if you take relationships and make them transactional, you will lose the heart of what this is all about, and you will begin to really hate the holidays. Because that feeling of, I don't know if I have enough to give, what you're telling me in that question and what you're telling me in that statement is this idea that this is transactional. I don't know if I have anything left to give. I don't know if I have anything to offer anybody else during this season. I'm exhausted, I'm tired, and, and I'm out of it. And some of us even feel that way with our relationship with God. Like, I don't know if I have anything to give, and God, I don't feel like I've been receiving from you. And so I want us to see today that the holidays in this moment is not so much about the transactions that take place, but about the relationships that we have. It's really about us understanding and living in relationship with other people and what this is all about. And so this week I was reading, um, they, someone put out uh, an email from Elon Musk. That's been happening a lot. There's a lot of emails going out there. But it was one where Elon Musk was talking about productivity and efficiency in business. He was talking about how to be really productive and efficient in business meetings at, at his companies, SpaceX, Tesla, now Twitter, and all of these things. And what it was is he was basically talking about, hey, how can we make this transactional that no one feels like time is wasted? Like no one feels like they were, they, they're somewhere that they shouldn't be, that they aren't of value, that you're wasting my time. Because all of us know, like you've been in meetings and it is a waste of time. And so Elon put out this, these five rules for productivity. And I think they're pretty good, but there's one that I have a problem with. So here's the first one. Avoid large meetings. All right? Why? Because it's hard to make everybody in the meeting feel valuable. If you have 200 people in a meeting, even if you have 20 people in a meeting, it's hard for everybody to have value in that meeting. And so Elon goes, hey, let's just not have large meetings. Let's make them short and quick and to the point and with as few people as possible. The second is this, get rid of frequent meetings. Get rid of these meetings that for, you're just having a meeting to have a meeting. Like some of us, like your calendar is just meeting, 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 so you feel busy. And what Elon says is like, look, if you're always in meetings, you're not really ever producing. You're, you're just stuck in this moment where you talk about doing everything, but nothing's really getting done. The third is this. Leave meetings that you are not adding value to. Leave a meeting that you don't have any value to add. You don't, you're not bringing anything to the table. You just shouldn't even be there. Fourth is don't use jargon like we do in church. Like don't, use all, don't try to sound smarter than you are. Let's all talk plainly so we can all move quickly. And then finally, communicate directly. Here's what it means. Don't go through this chain of command. Talk to the person directly. It, it creates efficiency in the productivity of a moment. Now, there's one here that I thought, man, this is really good for transactional, but really not good for relational. And it's the third one. Have people leave meetings that they are not adding value to. What that is, is this is a transaction. Unless you have something to bring to the table today, unless you have something to offer to this meeting, then you don't need to be here. And I wonder, for how many of us, we feel like we have nothing left to give, we have nothing that we can bring to a situation, to our family, to our relationship with God, or anything like that, and we just, we have nothing, so you know what, we might as well just leave. 
Like we're not wanted here. We're not valued here. And so because we don't feel value, we don't feel all of these things, we begin to leave. But what is missed in that statement and what is missed in that moment is people are intrinsically valuable. People are intrinsically valuable. Like the fact of the matter is, is like all of us in this room, there's a few people adding a ton of value to this room, right? There's people singing. There's people doing all kinds of production stuff and yammies in my office running the TV stuff. I'm up here preaching, but you're just sitting there. So should we just say, hey, you're not really adding a lot of value in this moment, so you should leave. Be a real lonely church, right? Right? Real fast. But you're here because you're intrinsically valuable. There's something in you that is valuable, and the fact that you're here is important. And not just the fact that you're here for me or anybody else, but you're valuable to God. You have value. And I wonder for how many of us we've excused ourselves from our relationship with God. We've excused ourselves from our relationship with fellow Christians or the church or our families or our dinners because, man, we just feel like we have nothing left to give. And if I have nothing left to give, then what value am I really? I think that that is a very wrong way to look at how you and I are to live in this world. Because I want to tell you this. If you're in this room, you were created by God for a purpose, for a reason. And yes, other people may not see your value, but God certainly does. And we always say this, if you want to know how valuable you really are, you're worth one son. That's how valuable you are in this world. But what happens for a lot of us is, is we begin to believe these three big lies about value add and bringing things to the table. And I don't have enough to give, so man, I might as well not even go. How many of you have skipped a party because you didn't have a present to bring? What you're telling me is, is you're equating your worth and your value based upon what you have. Not the fact of who you are. You have a jacked up view of yourself. Because I don't know about you, have, if, has anyone ever shown up to a party without something and you were there and you brought something? You're like, you, you should just go. You didn't bring anything? You don't have no purpose here then. Get out of here. But the reality is, is we understand that with others, but we don't really feel that with ourselves. And so today we're going to look at these three lies that I really think that you and I can begin to believe when we really think we have nothing to bring to the table. But here's the truth. Everybody has something to bring to the table. Who you are is important. Who you are matters, and you matter to the people around you, whether you believe it or not. And so if you have a Bible with you, open up to Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 6. This is a really beautiful story. Um, Jesus is getting ready to head into the Last Supper. Jesus is getting ready. The, the final days of Jesus' life are about to happen. And so this story happens here where this woman, it says this woman brings a gift. But what happens is she isn't named. But we know from John that this is Mary. Okay, this is the same Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus while Martha was cooking. This is the same Mary. Mary understands something. Because in the world, Mary did not mean a lot to people. But she understood somehow that she was valuable to Jesus in not what she brought, but who she is really mattered to God. So I want you to read this with me. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper. This is really important. Jesus is hanging out in a dude's house who was untouchable. In fact, we know that Simon is healed because he's in a house. We know that Jesus has done something for Simon when Simon had nothing to offer to the world. Jesus healed Simon. And so even the beginning of this text, all of a sudden, Jesus is in a guy's house who didn't have a house before because he was a leper. So something has happened, and he didn't have anything to give to Jesus, but Jesus healed him anyway. 
So the story is massaging our heart a little bit to go, hey, we have a story for you. There's something for you to understand here. Jesus is hanging out in a former leper's house. Something has happened. So he goes to Simon's house, and a woman came in with an alabaster jar. This was a jar made of like a special stone. Any of you all have piggy banks when you were kids? How many of you all had one of those ones that the only way to get the money out was to break the bank? Some of you all did that this Christmas, okay? But here's the deal. She brings this alabaster jar, which was already so valuable, and it has nard or an oil or like a perfume in it. And the only way to get it out was to break the jar. I want you to understand something in this moment. Mary brought her best. That's what this this whole thing represents. This alabaster jar represents the fact that Mary is bringing her best. Why? Not because Jesus demands it, but because of the value that Jesus has shown her. So she came with this alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured out on his head as he was reclining at the table. And you're like, this is weird. No, this is an anointing. This is a moment where people didn't have degree, you know, and all these other things. So people had a little stank to them, right? Like they've been walking around in the desert for a while. And so this anointing of perfume was a way to show value and worth to somebody. This was like, hey, this is important. I'm going to show you value and worth by giving you all that I have. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. That's a strong word. The disciples were indignant. We find out from the Gospel of John, one disciple especially was indignant. His name is Judas. Judas gets angry in this moment, and he says this, Why this waste? Why would you waste this important thing at this moment? Judas is looking at this as a transaction and not a relationship. That is more valuable, invested in another way. Why this waste, they asked. The perfume could have been sold at a high price in the money given to the poor. They just try to holy roll Jesus and Mary there. It's, I call it a Jesus juke, right? Like you're trying to like talk to somebody and they just like, oh, what about Jesus? And you're like, oh, I got shook, right? But Jesus ain't having that. Jesus gets back into this and goes, listen. I need you guys to understand something. Verse 10, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. They're so focused on the transaction, they don't actually realize the purpose of what is happening here. I think someone would have said, Burial? What, what do you mean burial? It just goes over their head. And so what happens is, is this, I'm going to do this for this burial. Truly I tell you, whoever, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be also told in memory of her. Jesus saw the value of what she brought to the table. Now look at what happens in the story. The gospel writer Matthew is not saying these things back to back by mistake. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? What are you willing to give me? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Here's what... I want you to understand. When you honestly look at your relationships as transactions and what you bring to the table, when you feel like you don't have enough, you will do some things that are almost unspeakable. When you feel like you don't have enough, you will do desperate things to meet your need. Now, what's interesting here is John lets us into a little bit deeper part of the story. John says that not only was Judas mad, John tells us why. John says that Judas was actually the one who handled the money. So what is Judas saying when he's mad? We could have sold that perfume for a lot of money. 
And that money would have been put into the hands of Judas for him to handle. And John says that Judas had the sticky habit of grabbing things out of the money bag. It was a transactional moment. So here's what Judas is thinking and saying. He says, what you're giving him should really be mine. And so you know what? Because I don't have enough, I'm going to go get some. Because I don't have enough, and because you've taken what I feel like should be mine, and I'm in desperate need, then I'll do desperate things to make sure I'm paid. And so he goes to the whole religious order and says this, I will help betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. I'm going to make sure I get what I feel like I'm owed. Because when you believe the lie that you really don't have what you need and you don't have enough, you will do desperate things to meet your own need. And it becomes this cycle of how we get into these moments of of where we go, man, how did I ever get here? How did I ever become this person? Because you got desperate and you did things that desperate people do to get things that really won't satisfy your soul. And then you're desperate again, so you do it again. And so what happens then is we feel like we don't have enough, we will criticize the generosity of other people. Notice what happened. Mary brings this this expensive perfume. Maybe it's all that she had, really. It's maybe the nicest thing that she has. And in this moment, She brings it and breaks this jar and she begins to anoint Jesus' head with oil. And when you don't feel like you have enough, you will become jealous of the generosity of others. I mean, how many of us, this is what it's like for the holidays. You go to a party and you go to someone's house and they host for you and you realize, man, I couldn't do that. I can't do that right now. And so what happens is is you just criticize and critique every part of the party instead of just enjoying the generosity of someone in your life that God placed there for you. Oh, man. Did you see what they, they bought? Godiva chocolates. Everyone could have eaten Hershey's. Oh, they use real chocolate in the hot chocolate. They could have used Swissness. You know what I'm saying? Oh, they got their wife a new car? Well, they could have bought it used at least. Because when you feel like you don't have enough, you will begin to get into the cycle of comparison. And you will begin to have your joy stolen from you because you believe your relationships are about transaction. And the joy of this moment in the holidays is taken away from you. Look, we know what Judas was doing. We know in this moment, Judas is going, man, I don't have enough. And now you poured this oil on his head. Why wouldn't you sell it? We could have done a lot with that money. I could have done a lot with that money. But instead, he sees what happens. And notice what Jesus says to them. Leave her alone. Let her be generous. Let her be kind. Let her do what she feels led to do. And don't judge yourself and her based upon your lack of generosity. Because how many of us know that when we don't feel like we have enough, the generosity of others is convicting? And it's not, let me just tell you, other people's generosity is not about you. Unless they put on the memo line your name. And then they're like, I want them to know. Right? But here's the deal. Like, the reality is, is is this isn't about you. But because you feel like you can't keep up in these transactions, you start comparing yourself to everybody else. And when you compare yourself to everybody else, your self-worth and your self-value begins to fall in your own eyes. And when you don't like yourself, you're susceptible to do things that you really don't like. And the enemy uses this as a cycle to keep you down because he says it's a transaction, not a relationship. See, because when we don't have the things that we think we we should, we begin to let things have us. 
When you don't feel like you have enough, everything becomes so important to you. Every little piece, every little thing is so important to you. And I remember this, Mike. Uh, we hear about this in the generation that lived through the Great Depression. That a lot of them, at the end of their life, end up being hoarders. Some of you are laughing because you've been in the house. And it's like, you've never thrown away a paper plate. They're used. You never know, right? And you're like, let's just eat off the ground if we get to that point. I'm not, I'm not eating off a 20-year-old paper plate, okay? But here's what that means. When you feel like you don't have enough, you will start to not have things. Things will start to have you. Things will start to have you. And here's what happens. We all think that when we finally do make enough and we finally make that money or sell that house or do that thing, once we get that 250 grand in the checking account, we're going to be good. But no, you are already enslaved to things. It owns you. And these things on you, you go, I don't know about that, Pastor Blake. I've seen a lot of rich people do okay. Really? Because there's this guy called the rich young ruler in the Bible. And he says, what must I do to follow you? And Jesus says, hey, go sell all your stuff. And the guy goes, I, I, I can't. I can't. My things have me. Because let me just tell you something that's going on in our world, especially in our country. We are addicted to lifestyle. We are addicted to lifestyle right now. We are addicted to the kind of car we drive, how new it is, how many miles there are, the kind of vacations we go on, with the kind of house that we have that we can't afford. Like, I'll just tell you how I know that we're in, addiction, in an addiction of lifestyle. Kelsey and I bought a home probably three and a half years ago, maybe four years, three and a half, four years. We lived in it literally for two years. We sold it for almost five times what we bought it for in two years. That was telling me there's an addiction to lifestyle here. There's an addiction to zip code. There's an addiction to these things. And so when you feel like you don't have enough and you've got to feed an addiction, you will do desperate things to feed it. The lie that you don't have enough. So we make everything about these transactions. We make everything about everybody else. And comparison comes in. And, and this feeling of doom and gloom and all of these things begin to set in. And we would do things that we would never do before. All because we feel like we don't have enough. And you're like, man, are you sure about that? Judas goes from being a follower, disciple of Jesus. And in a moment, goes and betrays Jesus, and the stories are back-to-back -back on purpose. To say, hey, something happened in Judas's life. He was stealing, like, from the church, which isn't rare. And so when he didn't get what he thought he deserved, when he didn't feel like he had enough, he went and sold out Jesus. I mean, that's like, what is going on? But I need us to understand something. The fear of missing out, the fear of what is going on, the fear of not having enough will cause people to do crazy things. And all we have to do is go back to the garden. You don't have the knowledge. You could be like God. Great. I'll eat the apple. I'll eat the fruit. No problem. Desperation will make you delusional. But not only do we feel like we don't have enough, maybe some of you right now, you're like, it's not a matter of having enough stuff. I have enough stuff. I just don't believe that I'm good enough. See, not feeling like you have enough is not just about stuff, although a lot of the time it is tied to it. It's also this feeling that you don't really belong, you're not good enough, you haven't done enough, people really don't love you or like you or all of these things. And I have people all the time come to me and they say, man, I came to church and no one said hi to me. I'm like, they didn't? We have greeters at the door. I got to kill them now. And then, but I also ask this question, did you say hi to anyone? Well, no. They're just all judging me. I'm just not good enough. I'll never be good enough for them. I'm never going back. All because 
of this moment where you somehow felt like you didn't have enough. Maybe some of these heads go on in your own mind. I bet if I was a better person, God would give me more. I bet if I was just better, God would bless me. I bet if if I was just better, that man, I would have that, I'd be married. Or we'd have kids. Or I would be the CEO. Or we wouldn't be in debt. Or there'd be some kind of blessing. What you're telling me is your better equals your blessing. But my understanding of the scriptures is, is God blesses those who are undeserved. It's gracious and kind because what happens is, is that we think now this is transactional. I mean, some of you may have thought at one point in your mind, man, I'm going to give God $10 and that's all I got. And so God's going to bless it more. And so he knows that I'll give with $100. And he knows that I'll give with $100,000. He knows that I'll give with $100 million. And you're giving to get more. And that's no longer giving. That's investing. If you're giving to get more, you are not giving. You're investing. What's my ROI on my gift, God? I mean, come on. I look up, I'm your good and faithful servant. And God goes, I, if I give you that, you'll be sick. Because you couldn't handle it now. How about this? If I was just a better husband, my wife would stop nagging me. If I was just better and did more, she wouldn't have left me. If I was just better and did more, we wouldn't argue. Or if you're a mom, if I was just a better mom, my kids would listen more. If I was a better mom, my kids would go to bed. Man, if I was just a better mom, then I would... then. I, there wouldn't be any behavioral problems. See, my kids' behavioral problems are my problem because I'm not good enough. And it's like, no, we do discipline, but kids are kids. Kids are kids. And the reality is, is yes, we invest in our kids, but we are raising them up. They're not raised up. We're raising them up in the way of the Lord, and so there's going to be hard days. If we took our kids to do more, they would be better. If I don't give my kids the same thing that everybody else has given their kids, they won't love me. I mean, parents with iPhones, this is your life. Well, Stacy has an iPhone. Well, sorry, you're 10. Who are you calling? Right? Like, you're 10. <laughs> what social media presence do you have to keep up with? You're 10. Yeah, but, and then this creeps in. If I was just better, they'd love me more. And you made your kids love towards you transactional. I must be broken or God would have sent someone into my life by now. People would invite me more if I was just nicer or prettier or smarter or richer. Man, I just, I'm the problem in all of these things. I'm just not good enough. Because you've made every part of your life about these transactions. Everything is not about relationship. It's about transactions. And even think about the woman at the well. When she made her life about being not good enough, she also began to make herself invisible. And she began to pull away from everybody else in life. Now, culture had certainly something to do with it. But she also became reclusive. How many of us are not in relationship with God, not in relationship with our friends, not in relationship with our family, not serving in church because, man, we're just not good enough. And so we back away from everything. Now we have nothing left to give, so why would anybody want me around? Like it's all this transaction. But not only that, These three things, these three lies come together. I don't have enough, I'm not good enough, and then finally, I'm not important enough. When we make everything transactional and not relational, we will think that we are not important enough to be important to others. Man, if I was important enough to them, they would have invited me. Man, if I was important enough to do this, like I've just been waiting for someone to invite me to church this week, but no one called. I must not be important enough. 
And everything turns into this idea that you're not important, you're not good enough, you don't have enough, because everything in your life is transactional, and you stop seeing yourself for who you actually are. Because we started the night out by saying this, you are intrinsically valuable because you are made by God for a purpose. And we see in these stories that people will do crazy, desperate things when they feel seen and when they don't. Judas, when he didn't feel seen, when he didn't have enough, he goes, betrays Jesus. Mary, when she does feel seen and is valued, and it's not about what she brings, but about who she is, she's radically generous. Something shifted because all of a sudden the things that had her didn't anymore. And the things that had him really did. And so there's these truths in this moment in the scriptures that we see that can combat all of these lies. Because here's the deal. A lot of us feel like, look, I don't have enough anymore to give in any way. I can't give of my time. I can't give of my, my, my attention. I can't give of my money. I can't give of anything because, man, I don't have enough. And the Bible says, no, you don't understand this, and Jesus is going to whittle it down to two very simple things and go, you have everything you need to give. You have everything you need in this moment. Because this isn't about transaction, it's about relationship. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. Jesus replied to these Pharisees that said, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus says, it's simple. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the law and the prophets hang on these two things. You have everything you need to be generous and to give and to be a part of this world. Because Jesus says it's not about transaction, it's about relationship. And you have everything you need to be in relationship. And transactions are like you waiting to send the goods until you get payment. And you might do this like in your home. Well, I'll do this and I'll, I'll sleep with my husband if he does the dishes. Okay, that's a transaction. I'll go get my wife this or I'll go watch this movie with her if she does all of these things. If not, we're not talking. I will get my kids this if this happens. I will give people these things if these things happen. And what we do is we make everything transactional and we realize that transactions are the enemy of relationship. How many of you have been in great relationship with someone who didn't uphold their end of the bargain? Like you hire a contractor to build you an extension on your house or you, you fix something and they don't do their job. How many of you are like, I can't wait to see him at Christmas. I gave him all this money and he gave me nothing in return. Are you in great relationship anymore? Why would we do the same things to our spouses and our kids? in our family members, in our co-workers, in our friends. You have everything you need to give. Because what it's really about is not what we have, but who we are. A couple of years ago when Kelsey and I moved down here to plant the church, I've told this story a bunch of times, but we, uh, we lost three quarters of our income to move down here. So when we moved down here, we were poor. And not like, you're kind of poor, like we were real poor. And I grew up in an affluent family, an affluent home, and so a lot of my self-value was built into things. And Kelsey and I were trying to like budget and figure out like what we were going to do. And someone was like, hey, you guys need to apply for food stamps. And I was like, what? What are those? They're like, oh, there's these, these like, they're not a coupon, but kind of. And you use them, and the government gives you money on a card, EBT, and then you use that money to buy your groceries. And I was like, Lord, you called me down here for this? 
My family, we, we're surviving on food stamps. Why did you call me here to this? I don't feel like I have enough. And I'm suffering. And I'm trying to love you, but it's getting hard. I need some return. And Kelsey and I were walking down one of the aisles. And um, I was like on the verge of tears that day. Like just felt so beat up because we were looking at all the things in the aisle that you could buy with EBT. I didn't even know those like little stickers existed. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, we got to look for like the, I think it's yellow thing. And I was like, this is like, what is going on? And we had left the kids at home with my parents. And we were walking down the aisle. And I got a phone call. It was my mom. And you don't, I mean, you don't know everything about my family. Um, but my, I didn't grow up in a religious family. And I got a phone call. And my mom was like, hey, you won't believe what's happening. I was like, okay, I'm having a hard time. Is, this, is it good? And she said, um, your dad is sitting on the couch with the girls reading them the Jesus Storybook Bible. And she's like, this is crazy. And I started crying. And I hung up the phone. And I realized in that moment I had everything I needed to give. Because it wasn't about shopping for EBT stuff. It was about the mission that God had called us to. And it was all about loving God and loving people. And I walked over to Kelsey, tears in my eyes, all this EBT stuff in the cart, and all the embarrassment, all of the other things, because I would have given anything to hear that, that my dad was reading my kids the Jesus Storybook Bible. So you have everything you need to give right now because it's all about loving God and loving people, and that's free. We always say this, it's free to be nice. You have everything that you need to give. And when you realize that, all of a sudden food stamps don't matter. All of a sudden, all those things don't matter. And you know what? We don't need to use those now. But man, if God called us to do it again, I'd do it again tomorrow. Because the reality of the call was to see his provision when my obedience and our obedience was there. But not only that, God does not value you for what you have, but who you are. We see it all the time in the Bible. We see all of these things that God is not just looking for the rich and the famous and the important. He picked up a bunch of poor fishermen to be his disciples. He got a guy who was going to betray him. He went to women and people who are of low rapport and low value and Jesus stood in their life. And the Bible is full of stories of people who don't have anything to offer and who are not good enough and don't have enough to bring to the table and, and aren't important people in the world. And the whole Bible is full of people where God knows it, but he does better. Just listen to this. Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah who prophesies about the suffering servant, the one who is to come, the savior of the world. When he is called to be a prophet, is caught up in a vision and shows up into the presence of the Lord and says, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 5 to 7. As soon as he gets into the presence of God, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Here's what he's saying. I'm not good enough to be here. I'm not. Verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Isaiah wasn't enough, but God made him enough. Gideon is facing 
the Midianites in this army, and he has no one. And he gets there, and he gets to this war in this time, and he, his army gets whittled down to 300 men. But before Gideon gets to that battle, God calls Gideon on the threshing floor. You guys know what the threshing floor is? Where you throw wheat, and the chaff and the straw, they separate. The wheat and the chaff, they separate. But Gideon's doing it underground. There's no wind in a basement. But he's so scared of the army that's coming that he's hiding in a basement. And God calls Gideon. Listen to what Gideon says in Judges chapter 6. The Lord Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord. Uh, Excuse me. (laughs) That sounds heavy. Getting replied, but how can I save Israel? How can I do that? My clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. I'm not your dude. Don't you see? I'm threshing wheat in the basement. I'm not your guy. And what does God do? Yeah, I need someone who realizes that because you'll rely on me. And with 300 men, we will drive out the whole Midianite army. What about Moses? Hey, you're going to go talk to Pharaoh for me. Hey, don't you know I stutter? You want me to talk to Pharaoh for you? I stutter. I'm not smart enough. I can't do this. Exodus chapter 4. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant. Pardon me, Lord. I have never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I have nothing left to give. I have nothing to give. My past is too bad. Don't you know I killed somebody? I have nothing left to give. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes the deaf or the mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I love this. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. I don't got anything left to offer. Great. Don't worry. I got you. Because this isn't about what you bring to the table. It's what I bring to the table. I'll speak for you. I'll teach you to speak. Or the centurion soldier who says, you're not even worthy to come into my house. And Jesus says, your faith has made your servant well. He is healed, and you can go. Or the woman that we talked about last week who touched Jesus' cloak, who was ostracized. And she goes, I got nothing to bring. I'm out of money. I've tried everything. And what does Jesus call her? Daughter. Daughter. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. She goes, I don't bring anything. I was just hoping to, like, just touch your cloak and then I'll be good. But I know you don't want to know me. And Jesus is like, no, I do. But I don't have anything to bring to the table. I'm not asking you to. Jesus has brought the meal and set the place. All you got to do is take a seat. And finally, the woman at the well. No one wants to be around her. And Jesus shows up in her greatest place of hurt. In her shame. And he speaks to her and he gives her value and he gives her worth and she can't do anything. She has nothing to bring and yet Jesus only wants one thing. He wants her heart. In every single one of these stories where people didn't have anything to bring, they had one thing. And that's their heart. And let me just tell you what this is all about. See, you have everything you need to give. Because it's about loving God and loving people. And even though you don't feel like you have anything to bring to the table, God will provide everything. Right? We always say this. God doesn't, doesn't you know, where God's provi- call is, his provision is. Where his purpose is, there is provision. But here's the deal. Because it's not, it's about the heart, not the how. Let me just say that again. It's about the heart not the how. If you ever go with us to Israel, I hope you do, 
will take you to this place where you can buy something called the widow's mite. It's like a penny, okay? But if you know this, like, background at all of the Bible, widows didn't have a lot. Couldn't own property. If they didn't have a, a man in their life, that, that they were kind of, like, socially, economically devoid. And this moment happens in Luke chapter 21. And it's these four short verses. But it's so freeing because we see the love of the Savior. And for a person who has seen and valued what they're able to give. It's like this, Luke chapter 21. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins, widow's mites. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And this little lady, who had nothing to her name, is mentioned in the Bible. And not because she bought the temple, but because somewhere along the way, she realized it's about the heart and not the half. And so, today, as we go out from here, and you go to the holiday parties, and the Christmas thing, and the gift giving, and the exchanges, and all of these things, you may be believing, I have nothing left to give. And Jesus says, you have everything you need to give. Because the whole deal is about loving God and loving people. And you have a heart. And if you align it in the right way, you have everything that you need. And when your heart is towards him and loving others, you begin to break the bonds of the need to have things. And you begin to break the bonds of being important. And you begin to break the bonds of needing to be seen by everyone. You, you begin to break the bonds of all of these things because you realize that the joy of this season is really about giving. And what everybody needs is not your stuff. They need you. Let me just tell you, I don't remember any of the gifts I didn't get as a kid. I don't remember any of the gifts I didn't get. And I barely remember any of the gifts I did get. But I remember my mom and my dad there. I remember the same French toast every Christmas morning. I remember going out with that football that I don't have any longer, playing catch with my dad. And I don't remember the gifts that I've given my kids, but I remember the moments I've spent with them. You, we have all believed this lie. It's about what you have that makes you valuable, but who you are is. And every person in this room, listening online, anywhere in this place is valuable because God loves you and he made you for a purpose. And so let us stop believing the lie that it's about what you have and not whose you are. And so tonight, I pray that you offer the one thing that you truly have to give to the Lord. And it's your heart. It's your heart. Can you get to a place in your life? And I'm not doing this to lift myself up. Because if God didn't intervene in that grocery store. I'd still have a sick heart. But he helped me see the greater purpose. But can you get to the point where if it's EBT. And, and no house. And nothing, and you got a quarter of what you used to have, and your title is gone, and your prestige is gone, and your little sliver of fame is gone, and all of these things, and you're planning a church with no one or nothing. Can you really get to the place where you can say, I have everything I need to give, and I have everything I need in this life, because I have everything to give, because he's given me so much. That church is where you will really find freedom. You will really find freedom. And so maybe instead of asking God to fill your bank account, maybe we ask God to shift our perspective. Maybe instead of asking God to take you off EBT, maybe you're just thankful that there's people who pay their taxes and there's a government who will provide it. And maybe 
when that person offers you that radical gift of generosity, instead of saying no and pushing them away, you'll say thank you. And you'll give them the gift of being generous as well. Because you realize it's about relationship. And so I hope that that frees you a little bit today. And so to help with that, we have a gift for you. Outside, when you walk outside, we know this is a stressful time. And we have a very generous family in our church who bought these. These are stress balls. And so when you leave tonight and you're freaked out and life is hard and stressful, you can squeeze this and you can remember that in this moment, it's not about what you have, it's about whose you are. And when you feel the squeeze of life in this lie that it's all about what you have and not who you are, squeeze the lie out and just believe again. And so that's a gift for you from a very generous family in our church, okay? And so we just want to help make the holidays a little bit easier. And if it's a stress ball, man, we're in. And so I just want to take this time to pray and um, to just close this moment down. I'll just tell you, this was like a hard message for me to prepare uh, because, like, I felt like I had nothing. I honestly, like, even this morning, I got up at, like, 5.30 this morning and got here because I felt like, man, I just have nothing to give on this. And God just gave it all. Once I gave it over to him, God just gave it all. And so I hope you were blessed today. I hope you're freed today. And I hope we can praise him with joy today. So let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are and how incredible you are. And in this moment, I thank you that our relationship with you is not built upon what we bring to the table, but it's fully about who you are. That in this moment, we can live in this peace, in this harmony, and we can find joy. And comparison can die, and all of these things can go away. And in this moment, we can really experience the joy of the season by remembering that we have you and that's all we need and if it's all that we have to give and that's all the hope that we have that's enough so Jesus we love you we praise you we honor you in this moment thank you for coming into this life for us thank you for revealing yourself to us in today Lord I pray that any person here who feels like they got to bring something to the table for you to love them would throw it all down at your feet and realize that you do. And there's nothing they got to bring to the table. They just have to believe in you. And so God, I pray today that they will. They'll take that first step of faith today. And so God, as we leave this place, I pray an anointing and a blessing over every person here and that we would marvel in your graciousness and your generosity towards us and we would receive it. So God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you in Christ's name. And everybody said?